is Questionable People, the podcast where Liz and I ask questions of people that we consider questionable. Yes. And today I'm asking you questions. Unless I keep talking right now so long that we never actually get to that. Yeah, because you're incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, we already, we've recorded that part, that interview already, and I frankly, I hate it. Like, and um, so I'm just going to talk for a while about all of the other things that... By the way, you went to the state fair. Did you have any reports on like what should what should we eat there when we go to the it state fair? It was fine. You should have a corny dog. Do you call it a corny dog or a corn dog? I, whatever. I feel it's like corny it's corny dog, uh, and and you should walk around. But we're, that's not what we're here to talk about. What about? I saw a picture of you eating a turkey leg. Should I have a turkey leg also? I like the classics, but if you yeah, you should, sure. Okay. Anything I should go out of my way for? <laughs> you should go to the magic show. Okay. Uh, it's not good, but worth it. Also probably should mention that by the time this podcast comes out, the the fair fair will be over. So this is all not, this is only useful information for me personally in the moment. I'm fine with that. Yeah. And also to be very clear after this episode, we will start having other people on. I feel like I, I feel like several people have been confused about that. So this is just Mm -hmm. the beginning. This is just get to know your insufferable hosts. Yeah, so maybe after this we don't talk about ourselves as much. I, th- I, that sounds like feel, such a good, great idea. I feel like you would be very okay I with that. I would be so, so okay with that. Yeah. Um, that's why I'm continuing to talk right now so people don't have to listen to the interview that we already recorded that I'm I'm really nervous this, about. This was also your idea. This whole thing about us no, interviewing, oh, us interviewing oh, each other was your idea. Ah, fine, yeah, okay. So everything you're about to hear yeah. that Matt hates... He created. And just know that even though I hate it and you're probably going to hate it too, um, after this, we're going to start talking to people that we we both find interesting, like um, like some like journalists and scientists and bartenders and brewers and artists and clergy, clergy, ex clergy, ex clergy, yes, uh, teachers, people, other full time parents. Architects. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure... More uh, academics, authors. I have a lot of food-related ideas. Yeah, that's true. We said a lot of non-food-related things right there, and it was making you nervous, I could tell. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to the food regularly. Uh, and if you didn't hear our mini-sode, like last, episode one, we mentioned... Uh, we read a passage from Sylvia Plath that had a very questionable... Um, Topsy, look at that branding. I used the word in another context. Uh, very questionable recipe that we tried and released as a, as a mini-sode between episode one and episode so two. So if you missed that, feel free to go back for it. I think it's worth 10 minutes <clears throat> in the car Yeah, when you're stuck in traffic. Yeah. So. All right. This was, I guess I've delayed the intro as long as I possibly can. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm excited. Okay. But I also will say the second book in the Harry Potter series was the worst. And then it was only up from there. So if you feel like this episode's weak. It's my fault. Liz asked very good questions. She just didn't know that they were questions that were, at least in my own universe, calculated to cause two factions of my brain to war with each other in very long-winded and uninteresting ways. Yeah, so on that note, enjoy. <laughs> and, all right, we Cheers. Cheers. Episode two. Congratulations on on the brief window of time in which we have a 100% five-star rating on iTunes, <laughs> only less than 20% of which is, is our own ratings. In a weird way, I feel like when we eventually get less than five-star, that'll be an achievement because it means someone we don't know is listening. <laughs> that's, a, that's an excellent point. Uh, so I'm just going to... I'm Like, I look forward to someday someone complaining about my voice and how it sounds. That'll also mean yep. someone we don't know is listening. So that's like a, yep. that would be good. That would be good. So. Um, 
We ready? Yeah, I gotta. I gotta admit that I'm. This is. I don't know how you kept it together last week, knowing that questions were coming, because I'm a bit of a wreck thinking about. Oh, this. I don't think you need to. I. But see, you don't understand. Um, so at the same time, my very least favorite thing in the world is talking about myself, and also my very favorite thing in the world is talking <laughs> about myself. So it creates this really complicated emotional space. Um, I would assume too the fact that we planned it. Like if it were spon- you spontaneously talked about yourself, that would be different. But we we made an appointment to speak about me to talk about you. Yeah, where there's like the only other times I've done that have been in some sort of clinical setting where there's some alleged <laughs> benefit to it afterwards. So just coming in, like this might hurt. This might do more harm than good, really, in terms of my interior life. You didn't have to pay money though. I didn't. That's this true. This is free. That's true. We're out the alcohol, the twelve dollars <laughs> we paid for the website. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, so. that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. <sighs> so I'll just start. Okay. I don't think this will be... We'll just start nice and easy. Um, right. So I want you to think... Uh, well, actually, you sort of said this last time, but I think we're going to ask everyone to do this. So can you rate our friendship 0 to 10? Yeah. I think it's... It's definitely grown. It's probably about what a five point five now. Since, yeah, since last since time. Since last recorded. time we did this, yeah. yes. Um, might be six. I don't know. It's a little early to tell. Um, but you know, I so I was thinking about this last week, last two weeks ago. You, when I asked you to rate our friendship, your complaint over the question wasn't that I was asking you to put a number to something unnumberable. It was that I didn't give you enough variables. You you wanted you wanted another dimension, um, but that that's you know given enough variables you could put a number uh, to the friendship. I and think now I'm okay with two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with two. Uh, no, okay, five point five. Next question. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, who between the two of us who has the more insufferable job combination? <laughs> <laughs> um, me, so community college professor and barista, mm-hmm. or you, yeah. ad owner of a small advertising company, is mm-hmm. that how you would describe that? Yep, that's... And then also co-owner of a co-working space? Yep. So... Yeah, that's... Um... Which one? <laughs> <laughs> So, like the, the the advantage you have is that barista professor or professor barista, either way you put mm, it, mm. like distills so nicely into like this millennial insufferability perfect storm. I mean, it's like the it's like the modern version of like the warrior poet or the, or the priest king, and so you get the leg up there. Just but that's just because my thing doesn't crystallize so pithily. Um, yeah, it's only two words. Right. Whereas yours is about a paragraph. Like, exactly. Yeah. But then once you drill down into what I actually do, I think on paper I hate myself more. <laughs> can, can you elaborate? Well, <laughs> can you go on about that, about why you are worse than I am, please? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I own an advertising agency that ha- like claims to try to be about do-gooderism. <laughs> I mean, that's obnoxious. And uh, and I also own a co-working space, and co-working spaces are the most obnoxious, um, like in terms of the office world. I don't think you can, you can create a business that's more on the surface obnoxious than, than co-working. Um, I will say that we have the way we have structured our co-working business, Wax Space, is a, like a desperate attempt to mitigate all that obnoxiousness. Like you, our our tagline. Have you seen our tagline? Please tell me it what is, it is. It's the world's first co-working space without inspirational quotes on the walls. Yeah, I feel. I feel like. Well, isn't there a poster that says that? Yeah. Yeah. It, are, what are on you implying? I'm just, I'm, no, I'm saying I think you guys got out in front. Of it. Thanks. Pa- painfully uh, self-aware. Yeah. <laughs> also, Tori, Tori, who runs the space for us, um, came to us the other week, and she wanted to make T-shirts 
um, and we were like, why would anybody want to wear a co-working t-shirt? Like, let's not do that ever, please, because nobody's going to buy that, and then it's just going to be embarrassing. And she was like, what if the t-shirt said, have you heard the good news about co-working? <laughs> and I was like, we're in. Yes, make those. I want one of those. <laughs> so one time, Brian and I were walking our dog, and uh, we passed a man standing on his porch, and he waved, and we waved, did not know him. And uh, he was like, have you heard the good news? And I can't believe that I, I, I just had like a lapse in which I was like, no, what? I thought that there was some neighborhood... I think by the time I had said what, by the time the T had come out, I was like, oh, shit. Oh. I mean, and then I had invited myself into a conversation. Yeah. And then I felt bad about it. But, yeah. but also, like, it was my fault. How did, I mean, like, how did they, was the four spiritual laws, like, how'd the guy do? Like, did you rank on a, in, in terms of a pitch? Like, I just feel bad for people that go into a pitch thinking that they're the first one to pitch the pitch, and, and in how, fact, you've been pitched on it 24 times before. How in Dallas, Texas, would anyone that's my age be receiving that pitch for the first time? Well, let's just give them their fiction and, and pretend that, like, not, not, not break it to them that, they've, that you've heard it before. Like, how did they do? I don't know. I can't remember. Okay. I just remember being like, oh, got me. And then I don't know what happened after that. Um, so, uh, so, but back to, can I just say co-working wise? Yes. I, so even though it's an insufferable space, our particular version of that insufferable space, I feel pretty good about. And, yeah. um, you know, it's in Oak Cliff. Come see us. Wax space. Wax. I, W-A-X space. Cause it's in, um, a wax paper factory. We are also in a wax paper, in the same wax paper factory recording this right now at Tyler station. Just not within wax space. It's exciting now. People can come find us. Well, they can come find you. I'm not here very often. No, I'm here all the time. I think about that stuff sometimes. Yeah, and then there we get into complicated gender Gender. politics. Uh I'm sorry Uh that you have to feel that way. It's cool. I don't think about that stuff because yeah, ever. Why would you? Privileged. It's fine. Um, It's not fine, but I appreciate you saying so. No one ever says it's fine and means that it's fine. Just. Well, that uh, takes us nicely to my next question, which mm. was, do you think advertising is net good or net bad? Oh, God. <laughs> it's net bad. There's like, who am I? Who am I kidding? It is horrible. It's the worst. It is like we're up there with, um, I mean, lawyers do more good. Like people hate lawyers, but lawyers actually i mean you could make some kind of libertarian argument that the engine of commerce needs you know that that capitalism itself is some great good when harnessed and reined in appropriately um and that advertising is um some essential component of that machine that for good but i think the reality is that it's advertising manipulates what's good about that machine and hijacks it a little bit and I'm really good at it. Okay, well, that's so what I was going to say, though, is I thought maybe that's what you would say. So can it be good? Well, I, I don't know if I <laughs> have told you this before, but uh, I once was hired by Chrysler to rewrite the dialogue in Furious 7 so that each of the main characters had a chance to talk about the new Dodge cars. And I feel like in your universe, that's possibly the highest good there is. I'm sorry, what? Is this <laughs> a never, true story? This is, this is absolutely oh, true. You never told me this story before. <laughs> I forgot about it. I had no idea I you had any... I don't even know if it made it. I don't think it made it into the movie because I think there was some negotiation that fell through later and maybe the Dodge deal didn't end up happening. But for a while there, I got to write like one-liners for Vin Diesel and for um, Michelle Williams, Michelle Rodriguez. Which Michelle is it? Definitely not Williams. No, definitely not Williams. I maybe her, I don't know what her last name is. And then the white guy was his name. See, Paul Walker. Yeah. Um, so in seven, which I haven't seen myself, was it a good one? Was it one of the what is it? Yes, one of the best I ones? couldn't tell you which one it was. Did anybody if that was say, the one where they were in Dubai and they crashed cars through two high rises, or if that's the one where they were in Brazil? Did anyone say anything memorably witty about a Dodge Dart? I can't remember. <laughs> it would have been. Um, 
It would have been Ludacris, and then there's another guy, and they are always verbally sparring. I didn't, I didn't write anything for Ludacris. Just That's for, unfortunate. Yeah, just for Paul Walker and Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I like you so, a little more now. Cool. So can advertising be good? Is my I'm going to rephrase that for you. What do you think now, Liz? You don't have to answer that. This is my question. Uh, uh, so, no, now I'm going to give you, a, like, a sincere answer because you have been gamely setting me up to talk about my business in a way that makes me look good, and I've been resisting it with, like, literally everything I can. But thank you for for trying to give me the opportunity to say Just nice to things about myself. Just your kids, you know, <laughs> not go into too much debt when they go to college. Uh, I don't know. So we started Kickstand with like even though we acknowledge that the toolbox of advertising is manipulation and sinister we still try to use that toolbox to do good things and that may be like a pathetic and um misguided way to look at life but uh that is nevertheless how we set this up and uh and, and you know i think we've gotten to do some some like we're in the middle of a project right now to try to uh, spur reconciliation between uh, Muslims and ex-Muslims who have left the faith who often, um, I mean, it's not uncommon for someone that leaves Islam to get um, rejected by their families and have Mm -hmm. ties cut off. And so we're doing this, working with this group to try to encourage baby steps towards new conversation and, um, and, uh, the friendly atheist that blog picked it up, and I don't know if that's had cool. some good press out of that. Um, we do a lot of um, not cause-related stuff too that we're we're proud of. Just be, we like we like doing ridiculous and goofy advertising, and that makes us happy when we're not you know pretending that we're making the world a better place too. The, probably that ad campaign I did the most good with um, was I worked with a an African water well charity years ago. And uh, during the Sudan, the South Sudan refugee crisis, crisis, there were many of them and some of them are ongoing, but there was a particularly bad one in 2014. So the World Health Organization partnered with this group out of fear that cholera was going to rip through mm-hmm. all the refugees and cause, they were predicting like 50,000 deaths. So they needed soap there as quickly as possible. And so this group that was already there had a dis- like a network of soap sellers already around and they had a distribution team in place. They just needed the money to buy the soap and get it there. And he was like, we don't have time. We have like, I mean, we need a website up this weekend. Can you help us? And, uh, and so I, I spent the weekend and um, wrote this thing and um, they threw it up there. And, uh, and I forgot about it. Like I didn't hear from them for quite a while. Um, they were busy drilling new wells. And then years later, I got a call from the guy. And he was like, by the way, we were talking about something else. He goes, by the way, did I ever tell you what happened with that project? And um, and I said, no, I wondered what happened with it. And he said, well, it was our most successful effort ever. The website was um, shared and, and enormously, and people gave so much money that we, we had to start you know, stockpiling soap for future crises because we got as much as we could possibly get there. And he goes, the World Health Organization had predicted 50,000 deaths from cholera, and they ended up at the end of the crisis reporting 26. Um, and that was, you know, a lot of other people involved and a whole lot of uh, partnerships and different organizations at play in there. But, but in terms of just having a number I can point at to say, okay, maybe this skill set I've developed over 20 years can be used to, to make a difference in positive ways, um, that, was, that was really validating for me. That's cool. Um, okay, so then I actually realized I don't even know how long you've been in advertising. I don't know if you did anything before that. No, I did it straight out of college. So this has been 22 years now. Have you had, did you have any other jobs before that? I mean, I, I yeah, I was, um, but all like, you know, college, high school kid jobs. Like, Did you have one that was particularly good, bad, like, a really great example of a bad job. Um, yeah, I did. I was. Uh, I did um, uh, science-based magic tricks at kids' birthday parties. 
What? For a summer, yeah. Did you come up with them yourself? No, it was all a kit and like a program you had to follow. It's called Mad Science, and uh, it was like some weird guy in Houston, like trolled college campuses looking for suckers that could go to kids' birthday parties and do these things. So he basically just farmed you guys out. Yeah, yeah. But he provided the kit and the instruction and the the lab coats and um, the, you know, refractor glasses that we passed out at the birthday parties. That's an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um. Uh, another, another one that was only bad in the sense that, so bef- before advertising, I... I it meant I wanted to be a scientist. I went to school for physics um, and then changed my mind at the last minute. But I had a, an internship one summer at the Superconducting Super Collider in Waxahachie. Yes! Um, when they were building that. And uh, that was a, a really interesting, fun job. There were a lot of, like, you know, international scientists all gathered at this place. And um, But I was there the summer that... Congress voted to defund it, um, and it was it was the strangest, like one of the saddest things I've ever witnessed. Where everybody in the entire compound gathered in one massive, um, uh, like auditorium to watch C-SPAN live, as they knew that Congress was about to vote on whether to keep funding the super collider. Um, which would have unquestionably discovered the Higgs boson well before the LHC yeah. did. All I mean, it would have done all sorts of stuff. But yeah. uh, but the aftermath of that was just lines of scientists that had all moved their families to Waxahachie from around the world, just coming back in silent droves, like through the place after Congress voted against it. It was the weirdest. Not the same, but I would have to imagine. <clears throat> excuse me. Kind of like how I felt watching the election. In 2016, mm. not like just something not turning out like you yeah. were hoping, and then in a way that was like very devastating and like per- immediately yeah. devastating to the people around you, yeah. and serious consequences. And um, I mean, affected the the I mean, it, it affected the entire trajectory of physics around the world. I mean, it, yeah. it really was a, a dramatic. Also, I can't blow. imagine how Waxahachie would be different, and then. Kind of like even all the way up to Oak Cliff where we live would be a different, just a different, oh, pro- yeah. like a whole different population of people. Oh yeah, would have been added to that. Oh no, area no doubt. That aren't it would there be now. thriving in a completely different way than it was yeah. right now. The uh, I now I'm uh, Facebook. You know the way it looks at your work history. Um, I got messages several months ago saying from Facebook saying, "Hey, it looks like you worked at the Superconducting Super Collider. Nobody has claimed this business page. Would you like it?" Oh. So I said yes. So yes, so I, now you I'm have now it? the owner of the <laughs> Facebook Superconducting Super Collider page. If anybody, why didn't we make that the podcast page <laughs> on Facebook? That would have been great. <sighs> That's funny. Um, okay. I guess this is a good time to talk about, I think there are some maybe some other questions we'll try to ask everybody. We'll okay. see. I reserve the right to change my mind about that later. Mm-hmm. But are you currently a vegetarian or have you ever been a vegetarian? No. Um, I was, I was pra- back when Lockhart Smokehouse opened up, um, which was at the time the best barbecue in town. That's still among the best barbecue in town. I ate there so much that I was effectively a vegetarian outside of Lockhart, um, just because I didn't have room for more meat. Uh, but that's as close as I've, I've ever come. Okay. I just think we should keep a running total. Okay. That's all. Um, okay, and then my other question I think we'll probably maybe ask everybody is, what is your normal coffee order since you and I, I don't know if we technically met at a coffee shop, but we encountered each other at the at a community garden. But the, I don't think we had a conversation until we were at the coffee shop. Which one? I don't. It even... was Mariana Griggs's. Uh, uh, okay. Garden. Okay. 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 Yep. Um, my usual coffee order is um, a shot of espresso, and then a drip, whatever like pour over special is on on for the day. Okay. Um, but yes, we we met at coffee, and yeah, I feel like coffee is a really useful way of um, basically judging the interior quality of a person's life. How so? Um, I like. 
I feel like coffee is is um, it's like a platonic liquid. It's like the only. I feel like it's the only ideal form of anything that we get access to in life. Um, by which I mean, like, so if you if you if you weigh the desire for something in one hand and your expectation of how that thing that you want is going to feel once you get it against the fulfillment of that thing and the, the actual feeling of getting it mm-hmm. and then put those against each other. Like in my personal experience, nothing that I ever want quite lives up, even if it's really good when you get it, never quite lives up to the desire ahead of time. Interesting. Except for coffee. So basically, your yeah, your expectations of how coffee will turn out are often met. Always, always met. Like always I go met. to bed thinking about coffee and looking forward to having coffee, and I have never had coffee the next day where I felt like it let me down even a little bit. Like it always lives up to what I expect of it. Even bad coffee. Even bad coffee. Mm-hmm. I feel like. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and it's like it's it's. It's own class. Like you, there's not like a lot of other things that I waste a lot of energy and desire behind. Like there can be, like I love French fries, but like I, it's rare that I don't regret the number of French fries that I have eaten once I get them, even if I really enjoy them. That doesn't happen with coffee. Yeah, um, totally agree. Coffee's the on- also the only other thing I could have like three or four times a day and not. Feel like I'm gonna die. Exactly. Afterwards. Exactly. So I like. I think it is the only substance on the planet. Like I feel like it has descended from a higher plane, somehow survived the transition into the imperfect material world around us, and and you can tell how frequently people have engaged with that platonic ideal by how much they love coffee. I think uh, that's my. So that's how I judge people is based on that. And then I also I just like I think it's worth. Also expressing some gratitude toward um, the Latter-day Saints because they they make my enjoyment of coffee <laughs> they enhance it. Why? <laughs> um, You're talking about Mormons. Yes, I'm talking yeah, about Mormons. Yeah, talking about Mormons. No, like I. Um, so like you you know how like you picture a super wealthy person eating a truffle like a white truffle and like white truffles are good but. But like you have to imagine that most of the enjoyment comes from thinking about how few people get how, that experience. Get that experience. Yes. How they get joy from yes. the lack of other like people. Like one time, I one time I got to taste a hundred dollar bottle of olive oil. Oh yeah. And it was del- it was great, but part of that was like this probably won't ever happen to me yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so the other people's inability to have the thing makes your having the thing better, and but um, but like with rich people, it's like it's not quite a perfect imbalance because hypothetically poor people could become rich and someday have truffles. Hypothetically, hypothetically. but let's get real. Yes, no, this is purely it's hypothetical. Almost never happens. But it gets better. Like if you go to peanut butter, for instance, like you and I both have irrational adoration of peanut butter. Um, we share that. Uh, but like w- part of what I like about peanut butter is imagining all of the people that will die if they have it. <laughs> oh my God. That makes, I, the, it makes the experience that much better. I, I have had the thought before, like, what if I woke up tomorrow and I were somehow allergic to peanut butter? That would be one of the most oh, devastating oh. pieces of news I could receive. Peanut butter is the only thing I want when I'm sick. Like, what? Yeah. Like, you have the flu. Mm-hmm. I still want peanut butter. Everything You've else, got I a lose. Fever, chills. I lose a desire for everything else. Do you put it on bread? Do you just eat it? I put it on. Well, I put it on like on crackers. Gluten free. Oh, that's right. That's right. We sh- we should. Eat. So Matt Ugh. doesn't eat wheat. Speaking Wait. of insufferable, you don't eat wheat <laughs> and dairy and dairy. But it's not a gluten allergy. Yeah. It's specifically wheat. Yes, dairy. and it's not an allergy. It's complex migraines that, like, yeah. basically, I can just pass out standing up or like lose the ability to read that has happened that's true i just talked with my nutrition students about the definition of a food allergy and that's where you have to have like that immune response Mm -hmm. um you just get really sick and feel awful which is totally valid i validate you i hear you nothing will ever try to eat on this podcast will make you sick thank you yeah so, but back to peanut, like, I do think if you're honest with yourself, part of what you love about peanut butter is that it will kill other people. Um, 
you don't have to admit to that right now, but I think that's part of it. But the the that's even that is not quite it's, as perfect as the Mormons that can't have coffee, coffee because it's an eternal consequence for them. I did not think about people with peanut allergies. Okay, this is Matt in the future. I need to step in here and just say, Liz, uh, I need to like edit some laughter or something into this moment because <laughs> I, I knew where this this whole joke was going from the beginning, and I, I felt like I laid this this punchline and set it up like brick by brick by brick, and then like you just moved I, on to the I next just, question. I was like, cool, bye. And I felt like an asshole, and uh, <laughs> uh, that was a joke, and... Uh, dear Mormon listeners, all one of you, hey, Austin, uh, I like like you and I like coffee and thanks for being a good sport. (laughs) I only know ex-Mormons, so. Okay, last week you asked me about my dog, Darcy. Mm -hmm. So this week I thought I would at least mention you have two dogs, Meaty and Maryland. Mm -hmm. My question for you is do you like your dogs at all? <laughs> I like them fine. Uh, uh, I like how much my family likes those dogs. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, but no, they, uh, my dogs smell so bad. I'm so <laughs> much happier when they aren't around. Meaty really smells. He's the worst. Strange. I mean, he is well named. Thank you. That's June's doing there. She named him when she was four. Her, her options were, she came up with three options, and they were Meaty, which was number one immediate winner, but Cheeto Face was the, the second <laughs> one. And New Braunfels was the third. I um, mean, I guess the mind of a four-year-old is very, yeah, try not to think it's kind of magical. too much about it. Did y'all go to New Braunfels and have a nice time, or yeah, what? Okay. Yeah. It's just fresh arm on I think her so. mind. Okay, so... Actually, my next question was to, you have three kids, mm-hmm. and we shouldn't, I, maybe we shouldn't talk about them too much because they're kids, but can you tell me one nice thing about each of your children? <laughs> something that you something that you enjoy about this them. This is like the exercise we make them do at dinner each night. <laughs> yes, we're doing highs nice and lows. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to, yeah, we're going to practice gratitude. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I can say a million nice things about my kids. Um, Vivian is... Um, like our oldest, she's fourteen. She's uh, she's a really good sport, and like take like I you you might be able to imagine that I I can kind of dish it out at the house, and she takes it really well and t- receives it as the loving act that I intend it as. Um, and uh, she's really good at you know conversation, and um, and then Colin is very. Um, Sincere, very sensitive, very—he's uh, the boy in the middle of two girls, and he—he's—he's um, he's just a generous kid that looks out for other kids, and I think that's super cool. And then um, June is basically she's the executive in the house, like she. Um, w- She's the only one with any organizational skills, and like if something happened to me and Ashley, she she wouldn't miss a beat. She'd get everybody. She'd have everybody's permission slips signed, um, you know, for field trips. Um, she'd be on top of bills. I mean, she's um, she's she's good that way. That's great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is a related question. So recently, you filmed a little video with you and Vivian, and it kind of went viral. Yeah. Um, can you, well, actually we'll just, we can talk about it in a second and what that was like, but I guess my other question is how old is old enough for you to exploit your other children in an attempt to go viral? <laughs> um, I think it, it, 12? no, I think four is okay, fine. Okay. So, so, so they're. They're ready. Oh yeah, no, they're. Just when the I think they're. Presents itself. I think they're honestly a little resentful that they haven't been made into. I, would, I mean, that seems fair. Yeah. So, can you describe what happened with Vivian? Yeah. Um, yeah. So she. Um, um, basically, we were playing Mario Kart about a year ago, and she got sick of losing to me, and um, and I had to pause. I, we were in the middle of. Um, a tournament. I will have some more of that, please, while you're pouring yourself some. And um, I had to pause the game to take a phone call. And I came back, and she had unpaused it 
and had finished <laughs> the circuit to beat me. To win. Which up to that point was the first time she had beat me. And so I just, I made a deliberately far bigger deal out of it than I should have. It just like, like threw a fit and I told her I would never forget it. Um, and I brought it up regularly about what a, what a low down dirty move that was on pausing a game of Mario Kart and for months and months and months. And, and it was a, a recurring joke. And uh, she was really, really had her heart set on getting into Booker T. Washington High School for the Performing Arts, Performing and Visual Arts. She's she's been into art her whole life and has been has worked on her portfolio to get into that school. And she's super talented. She's she is she's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she um, so she applied. She did her whole you know she she uh, went for the interview and. Uh, um, and the portfolio defense and the live sculpting and the live drawing and all this stuff. And she was waiting, like she knew the day this letter was coming. And I had written a fake rejection letter um, that I like copied their letterhead and like (laughs) printed in color and forged the superintendent's name on it that that basically just said, um, you know, while your portfolio was excellent, um, some another matter has come to our attention. Unfortunately, we cannot allow anyone at our school who has a history of cheating at Mario Kart. Um, <laughs> but you're free to reapply when you've learned, learned to behave like a decent human being. And um, so I, I filmed her opening that letter. And, uh, um, but not, not of course, I, I had actually peeked at the real letter to make sure she got yeah, in. Yeah, I floored yeah, the record. Yeah, and then you showed her the real letter. And then I showed her the real and letter. And she got in and it was fine. Yes, but uh, but her reaction to both the first letter, like she she was like, like I, I regretted it immediately because she was so, she just skimmed it as you do and it like saw the little, like the keywords that, um, that, uh, that you look for to find out that you've not been accepted and she yep. just dropped it and like was like heartbroken and I, I like it was all I could do not to not to break character and I made her read it out loud to me and when she got to the the part about Mario Kart she busted out laughing so it ended up being a, a good video and actually got on some like national TV show syndication and uh, yeah so you shared got it a mashable, and it, yeah. it kind of went viral yeah. and I would you could you talk a that's just fascinating to me and like the inner workings underneath of how that works. Would you talk a little bit uh, about what that was like? The inner workings of going viral? Yeah, like how things go, yeah. What that actually looks okay. like on your end. Um, yeah, I put it, I put the video on Reddit and like l- literally 30 minutes later, I got a phone call from some guy in Ireland who was a, like a rep for a, one of those video content companies um, and they were like we'll give you you know if this makes we'll push it for you and if this makes money you'll get some money and um, and I was like all right so like it, I mean it went up to 100,000 views the first day and and it just kept going and uh, made it on Mashable and made it on uh, Dig and um, the syndicated show I don't even remember the name of it wasn't excuse me anything I'd heard of yeah, I, um, I just think those things are fascinating and all, almost all of those viral videos, they don't just, I mean, they they do take off on their own, but they also kind of have this yeah, invis- some of them invisible do. hand yep. that's like helping. Yeah. Um, I've had a um, couple other things go viral without like the video content people um, pushing yeah. it. So, I mean, you could do it the real way, but. The old um, fashioned the way. The old fashioned way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, since we talked about how much I like food last time, I feel like it would be a mistake not to ask a food-related question. So last time we discussed what the worst fruit is, and so I thought I would ask you what you think the best best vegetable is. Oh. And I, you may say the potato, so I was going to say, like, the potato. We can't talk about, the potato is in its own category. Fuck you, Liz. (laughs) It's special. It's hash browns. The potato (laughs) The so answer special. is hash browns. I think when people think if about can, vegetables, if you can tell me another vegetable <laughs> that makes good hash browns, I will say that. I mean, I would. I mean, French fries and tater tots are hold a special place in my heart. So we need to put them in their own category. Like the potato is its own category, and we can argue about what the best form of 
of the potato is if you it's want. It's hash browns. I think it's french fries. French fries are a close second. Or, and then tater tots. For me, it's french fries. Also, like, I like thinner french fries, so you get more crunch, more surface area, mm-hmm. less mushy inside. I'm, I'm agnostic on french fries. Really? Shape. Yeah. It's like just, steak it's all, fries? Uh, yeah. See? That, see, that pushes it a little bit see? for me. Okay, okay, besides the potato, what's your favorite vegetable? Do herbs count? Like... You are you are the more insufferable of the two of us. It's, a, that's a, it's official. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. Uh, no, I can do better. Um, what were you gonna say? What's what's that weird Japanese plant that comes on some? forms of sushi that has this flavor that nothing else has, like shiso or something like that. Are you about to tell me your favorite vegetable is something you don't even know the name of? Yeah. And you eat it so infrequently you've never even bothered to check. Yeah. You know. Is it like bento flakes? That's fish. That's fish, yeah. Okay. Uh, Uh, I like a lot of vegetables. I like, um, I like Brussels sprouts and I like, you know, if you cook it well enough, I like zucchini and squash. Wait, summer squash, winter squash. They're very different. I didn't say they were the same. I, zucchini is on <clears> near <throat> the bottom for me, personally. I only like it the way that I cook it, though. How do you cook it? Like, you do it sort of ratatouille style, but without a sauce. Like, you, you cut it really thin and line it in a pan with a lot of oil, and then roast, like, roast the hell out of it until it's, like, crispy on the top. I find almost all vegetables are best when you cover them in olive oil and then roast the shit out of yeah. them. Just all, like burn, mm-hmm. almost burn. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would eat that. Uh, does hummus count as a vegetable? No, what? Hummus isn't a vegetable? How is hummus, what's in hummus? Can you tell me Chickpeas. what's in hummus? And? Tahini. Yeah. And olive oil. That's a bean and a nut and oil. Okay. Okra. I don't know why it took so long. It's okra. I love okra. I love okra. I love no. roasted okra. Yeah, I'm gonna retract everything apart from potatoes and yeah. just go and with say okra. okra. Do you eat it? Do y'all do fried? No. Uh, Chop it up, roast it in gumbo. All of the above. I've never. I don't even know if I've ever really had gumbo. Seriously. I, and I was born in Louisiana, so that feels wrong. How did that happen? Can we backtrack to lax? Like, I really need to dig into this. I didn't eat meat for seven years. And then before that, yeah, I was born in Louisiana, but my parents weren't from there, so we don't. And you didn't hang out with people from Louisiana? I mean, just a little, we moved a little golden enclave, like a little keep out the darkness and stick together? We moved from when I was three. Oh. And my mom, I love her, bless her, and she might be listening. She, it's not like, she cooked when I was growing up, but she didn't cook gumbo. How's that? Okay. She was busy, and yeah, so it was a lot of casseroles. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, I grew up in Texas with Midwestern parents, and I thought chili had, like, macaroni, macaroni noodles and tomato <gasps> stewed tomato chunks and <laughs> multiple forms of beans in them for most of my life, and I thought I didn't like chili. I, so I kind of identify. It's obviously a tangent. I hear the whole chili doesn't have beans in it. That's fine. Oh, I don't have it. No. But I also de- will totally eat chili that has beans in it. Yeah, no, same. I'm okay with it. Chili does not have macaroni noodles. No, it. it does not. <laughs> chili does not have a grain in it. Mm. Well, I have had a veggie chili recipe that had quinoa in it. It was very good. But I think once it's veggie chili, it's kind of like whatever. Yeah, Everything. That's, it's semantics goes. at that point. Yeah. Um, okay. I love okra also. Okay, good. Okay, so... I uh, I know that you know a lot about Scientology, <laughs> but I don't know why. Because to my knowledge, you were not raised as a Scientologist. Yeah. No, that is an excellent question. Why am I obsessed with Scientology? All right, this is going to go deep fast. Are you, are you Buckle up. We can edit whatever we want out of it. If we get too it. uncomfortably honest. If it's, and, uh, or if it's like dragging, it's fine. So you just, you just um, go. Okay, no. Uh, so I think I got to start at the very beginning to get into my obsession with Scientology, which is that I was raised um, very evangelical. Um, uh, my dad was an ordained minister. Um, my mom... Uh, was a 
former, like, studied to be a nun. She grew up Catholic and went, like, put herself, like, joined the convent on her own and decided the nuns weren't, like, spiritual enough. So she left. And then when she went to college and converted to evangelical Christianity, and then that's where she met my dad. And um, Wow. So... That was that was my background, and I I grew up in that okay. culture and in that okay. belief system. Very, I mean, very fully with inside of it. Um, so I, I eventually I left the faith that I was raised in. I've come back to a, a weird kind of version of it now. I can talk about that more later. But um, but I got obsessed with like systems of belief and how systems of belief develop, and um, and Scientology was just super fascinating to me this I mean and this was like pre the South Park um, (laughs) Scientology episode this was um, but like it was just really fascinating to me that um, an entire religion could be founded so quickly with so many uh, like sincere believers um, just because somebody decided they wanted to start a religion Okay, do you think Scientology, because I, I mean, all religions, mm, I think, well, not, I don't know about all, but many religions can be a force for good, um, but also there's often a lot of problems, when, especially in systems. Do you think Scientology, is there good in there? Because I feel like all I ever hear are about people that have been manipulated, their money got taken. It feels like it's very money-based. I mean, maybe a lot of religions are. <laughs> That's a bit, yeah. You got to keep church lights on. Loaded question. I, I guess I sat well, through I, enough, um, <laughs> not pledge drives, but it was like, you know, fundraising time at church. So, I, yeah. you know. I, I, I mean, guess. the weird thing about, like, just to, to sidetrack on the, the church side of things for a while, is like the, the church that any of us know and ha- has grown up in has itself gone through like a yes. 2,000 year survival of the fittest style yes. thing where the only stuff that has survived and the only systems of interaction that have survived are the ones that lead to people tied and keeping it going and so it's it, it itself has become very money focused because that is what has lasted and that is what is self-perpetuated um so yeah no it's an interesting it's a whole puzzle but um okay so scientology can it is there, yes, is there good is there good in there so here is another thing that i i think i believe but i'm not sure and this gets back to your question thanks for bringing me back on topic um i think that the closer okay this is this is future matt and liz again stepping in i'm going to stop this bit of rambling here because uh you liz you like genuinely exploded my brain with this question and i'm trying so hard not to just say straight up no even though i want to say no that scientology is horrible and awful and i don't want to say no because i have in my own spiritual life i feel like i have drawn really beneficial um lessons from a whole wide array of stuff that I was taught to mistrust when I was younger, but um, but I do feel like Scientology is a special case, and we may get Scientology um, lawyers and activists after us for this now, which, you know, we got that to look forward to, but, like, I don't know, I'm already, like, suspicious of a system of belief if you claim to have stood unfiltered in the naked light of raw divinity, blah, 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 and then you come back from that with, one, anything that is translatable into English, I'm already... A little suspicious. Um, two, a list of like rules and tenets that I'm more suspicious. Um, and three, if those rules and tenets enrich a very small group of people at the expense of a much larger group of people, um, that's suspicious. But Scientology, like, not only fails on those three measures, it also, I mean, is actively abusive to the people that follow it. Uh, and deliberately so, like, so L. Ron Hubbard was friends with Aleister Crowley. I don't think that's necessarily, you know, a bad thing off the bat. I'm, I think Aleister Crowley's kind of an interesting dude, but um, Aleister Crowley, you're shaking your head at me like you don't know who Al- Aleister Crowley was this, like, famous occultist, um, magician, um, into, like, all systems of magic, some of them more sinister, some of them, you know, black magic, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Scientology hired a biographer to go through this closet full of letters that L. Ron Hubbard had written. And they were like, have at it. We want a great book based on his writings. Well, the guy gets all this stuff and he finds all of these letters between 
L. Ron Hubbard and Alistair Crowley. And in one of them, he tells L. He like literally the quote is, "All of the money is in religion. We're going to start a religion. Let's sell these people a piece of blue sky." Um, and so. It, <laughs> And when the Scientologists found out what the biographer had, they took all the stuff back. Yeah, they back, were like, never and mind. Like, never mind, we don't want you to write this book. Uh, but that that's the basis of Scientology, and that has continues to clearly be the basis of Scientology. And um, I, there, I, I do believe that, like, really confused, hurting people get into it and find some initial benefit. But I don't, I, I don't see how it can be lasting benefit when they, they're therapy sessions are recorded and uses, used as blackmail. Um, they're told that if they have children, they are down stat and their ethics are weak and they have to be sent, like in some cases, they got to go off to um, to an ethics camp and they starve them for days at a time and make them like march in circles around trees. And I mean, it's, it's awful. It's horrible, horrible, sinister stuff. So um, that is a more complete and honest answer than I initially gave you this was one of my last like <laughs> you know segments of conversation it, it, i i won't even ask i won't even pretend to ask if you believe in aliens because i you do right oh i guess i made an assumption that you believed in aliens but maybe i'm wrong I um, see. I don't. You. I don't comfortably use the word believe about anything. Really. Okay. I. Um, I am very open to entertaining the the possibility that um, that aliens are a real thing and that you know they've been a part of our reality secretly for a long time. Okay. Alternately, that um, you know there's some sort of weird Jungian collective illusion or I you know I don't know there's I like there's something behind what I think people experience when they experience UFO encounters I don't remember who the physicist was but if we said this I'll have to look it up but um, he was talking about you know science but he said not only is reality stranger than we suppose but it's stranger than we can suppose um, and that I can nod my head to in full agreement like I, I, I think whatever whatever's happening is um, is too weird to put into yeah, a clean beyond, explanatory framework. Beyond the compre- beyond the comprehension of our peanut brains. There you go. Um, Back to peanut butter. Always. Uh, okay, so have you had any personal experience that like leads you? That's I. From what I've gathered, you've had. Yeah, I was studying the sky. I'd been out for a while, and this thing passed overhead that was, uh, if it had been the size of an airplane. Um, it would have been like airplanes had passed over my yard at that height before and the roar was deafening. This thing was completely silent. It was shaped. It had no like blinking lights on it, nothing. No, it wasn't lit at all. Like it was only lit by the glow of the city lights, just barely. It was almost invisible. Um, and uh, it was shaped like a, like a whale's tail. And okay. it just like super steady, glided overhead. Um, 30 seconds uh, and then it was gone and um, uh, like I ran inside I grabbed the kids out of the tub I pulled Ashley out with me and it was like yeah and I, I tried to show them and, and it was over the tree line I couldn't find it again but um, but that was kind of the beginning of me like I you know there's I, I tried to find all sorts of terrestrial explanations and I'm sure there's Plenty of legitimate ones, but it was—it sent me into that world enough to to start reading about what legitimate reports there were from you know high-ranking military officials going back generations, um, uh, all of the case studies that um, that were treated seriously by the press in the 50s and 60s, uh, and really looked into, and that the government seriously looked into and convened a whole. Um, secret panel of like this is on this is this is not like conspiracy theory this is on the record um well i was going to ask is there one specific story that's somewhat well known or that you've read about that you feel like has a lot of merit i mean the big one if if you haven't read the the thing that happened uh earlier this year look up uh tic tac ufo new york times um it's a i mean it's a good 
full report. And then even better, if you look up, so Harry Reid, the senator from... Former. He gave a really interesting interview uh, on a local TV station. And what, is he from Utah? I can't remember. Yes. Okay. This no, Nevada. Nevada. There you go. Where uh, he talked about the resistance in the government to looking into this stuff that came a lot from a religious point of view that um, that believed that this whole phenomenon was demonic, like that they didn't want to spend money basically dealing with demons, was uh, and that this was a widespread belief that inside. Feels very Reagan era, to be honest. Oh yeah, I know. Oh, very and boy, I could. Uh, Another year, sometime in the future, I could give you some some fascinating uh, insider satanic panic '80s Reagan era stuff from my. Oh, upbringing. I can't wait! I can't um, wait. Yeah, no, there's uh, that's a whole world. Uh, okay, my last question. I thought I'd end it on a positive note. Uh, we both live in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes people from <clears throat> other places may think Dallas is kind of a shithole, right? Yeah. Let's say that's not a. Specifically, that word is not necessarily our reputa- reputation, but sometimes when we when I travel and I tell people I live here, they reply with, I'm sorry, or that sounds awful, um, condolences. So can you give me your favorite thing about living here? So that's, what's your favorite thing about living in Dallas? Um, well, I mean, it's... Uh... So Cliff, I mean, it's this. Okay, this, cut, cutting back in here, this, this, like, I gave you a very sincere answer about what I loved about Dallas, and it was all about like Oak Cliff and community. But in retrospect, I feel like I missed an opportunity to kind of widen the scope of both my feelings about Dallas and kind of our mission and what we're trying to do in this podcast a little bit. Um, and that is that, like, what I love about Oak Cliff only is true in context of Dallas as a whole. And I, I think Oak Cliff is interesting as a piece of Dallas mm-hmm. because Dallas is is odd, like genuinely. And I've grown to love the particular way that it's odd. I think it's it's almost like sneaky odd. Like if you just came here for a weekend. Yeah, it's so superficial that it takes a while. to. Yeah, you'd be like, this is a very boring, like generic place. Yeah. But then, yeah, the weird kind of. Sneaks up on you. It's because it's so pervasive that you don't see it. It's like in the background all the time. But this Dallas, like to your point, Dallas is a city of settling. Like it is a city of (laughs) uneasy compromise, and it's often misguided compromise. That's so great because it's also that's wrapped up in like the whole Dallas myth of like this is a city that was built on we just people settled here and they they made it happen. The settlers Um, were settling themselves. Yeah, we we also all a lot of us settled. Yeah, or or kind of initially maybe felt like we settled. When we yeah, nobody picks this place here. because you city shopped and like fell in love with the landscape here <laughs> or the culture. It's because yeah. you did the math and the math told you to stay, and you talked yourself into caring about the math more than the other things that you actually care about. Yep. Um, I mean, so many people we know have tried to leave and failed. Uh, so many others left and then came back when they had kids, either because their parents were here to help them with the kids or because they could afford a bigger place for their kids uh, when they came back. I mean, those are the compromises that all of us have made here in this city. And to your point about the settlers, it goes back to the beginning. I mean, even in a a deep and tragic way, um, like the founder, the guy that named and chartered the city, John, John Neely Bryan, um, came here like pre-Civil War, um, founded the city, and then even he left to go <laughs> to the gold rush. Yeah. And then he like struck out at, at a year and came back. So he like, he settled for Dallas twice. <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, though, so he comes back. And then at the same time, a totally different part, it's not even in Dallas proper, but now it is. It, it's it's here in Oak Cliff where the uh, La Reunion was yep. with Victor Prosper, What's his last name? Victor Prosper Considerant. That's it. Um, so this French guy started this this commune that all of these people from Europe came over and joined here in Dallas, uh, and it was essentially its own kind of like cult of shared property and farming, and I mean this beautiful idealistic attempt at community 
that itself failed. And yeah, I was going to say that that didn't last very long. No, and then those people ended up settling mm-hmm. and assimilating into the commercial structures of, of Dallas, the ones that did that couldn't afford to go back to Europe. Um, so there's that this this constant settling between the idealists, which in my new metaphor are represented by the the uh, La Reunion people and the opportunists, opportunists who are you know the John Bryan folks, and that like compromise between idealism and opportunity is one that we all fight in Dallas internally. Among I mean, it's it is a constant struggle for those of us here. Yeah, and if you don't have that struggle, you're a you might be a a bad person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, I mean, that, that, I don't know, I think that's what's interesting about Dallas, is this kind of deep psychological schism that goes back to the beginning of this incredible tension between generational wealth and ostentatious um, living and the combined power of subconscious compromise between, you know, oil money and the evangelical church here, which goes back uh, forever. Um all of that is is Dallas, uh, but then so is this sort of counterculture fatalism that we have here. All of these people that want to make it better and kind of know that they're doomed. And uh, from the beginning, maybe that's me editorializing a little <laughs> no, bit, it's but perfect. I think it's true. Um, uh, and it's true for me. Like I like uh, it, it's the same thing with my advertising business. Like this is a dirty, dirty thing. And we're going to try to use it for good anyway. We're going to, you know, it's, it's like, it's this sort of, we know we're going to lose in Dallas when we try to make things better, but what the hell is try anyway. And I, and I think that's, that's what's interesting about this city. And that's, what's interesting about Oak Cliff and, um, the people that are vocal about that, um, that struggle are the people that we, we intend to spend more time talking to in this podcast. Yeah. I would love to add on to that, but it was perfect. Do we have we confirmed who we have on next week? Oh yeah, absolutely. Next week. Did I say next week? This is, that's no, very, that's, very that's optimistic. That's a lot of pressure. No. Uh, we absolutely have confirmed that person. Yeah, and, and it's going to be a surprise um, that's going to yeah, blow. Yeah, we don't want to tell you who it is. Because, blow your minds. Yep, yeah, because we don't know who it is yet. Don't get too attached.